everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. And today we have Mr. Bored Elon Musk from the Internet joining us today. Uh, how are you doing today, Mr. Bored? And can I call you Mr. Bored? I usually go by Bored. Mr. Bored is uh, what my father goes by. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm doing well. The weather is great on the Internet today. Yeah, it, it really is. So let's go ahead and just get right into it. Uh, just tell us the story about the at board Elon Musk account. And what's it like being an anonymous Twitter account with 1.7 million followers? Uh, well, I'll focus on the, uh, the second part of your question. I think that's more interesting today. But the, the quick recap is it's an eight-year-old account. It was started the same day as real Elon Musk uh, tweeting the uh, idea around the Hyperloop, which uh, he basically did as like a side project. He put out a 40-page white paper explaining how to build an underground high-speed train. And he said, I don't have time to do this, but if you do, here's the plans. And I thought, wow, this guy's amazing. He does this kind of stuff when he's just bored on his free time. What else does he think of? And that, that was really the concept that just spurred this fictional character in my mind. And luckily for me, he's really remained a part of the cultural sort of conversation since then. And so as he's grown in visibility, that has uh, spilled over onto the, uh, the board Elon account. And, you know, for the first six, seven years, it was just dumb inventions and funny jokes and all that. But for the last year or so, it, it, it has really transitioned to be a more well-rounded media platform that is heavily uh, involved and invested in crypto. But to answer your question of what's it like, it's kind of, uh, it's weird, I guess, to have two identities. Um, I, uh, you know, there's a very small circle of people in my family and friend group who know about this and know who I am and know the, the alternate ego. And it's really like basically living two, two different lives. While there's intersections in terms of, you know, the personality of Bordelon and the real me, quote unquote, it, it is like sort of living two parallel paths. And um, what's become increasingly interesting and a bit surprising to me is that Bored Elon is, is uh, able to uh, live a much more financially <laughs> wealthy life, I guess, uh, than, than the real me. And, uh, and I think that, you know, pseudonymity is going to provide that opportunity for a lot of people. And we can talk a little bit about that. But more importantly, crypto um, has really enabled me to do much more with this account and much more for other people than, it, than, it, than, it, than I was able to do before when I was just sort of, you know, tweeting silly ideas and, and just, you know, using my platform to share information. I, I've had this sort of challenge of balancing wanting to stay anonymous and not being able to monetize because of that, because most most financial systems require you to reveal who you are. And then crypto really changed the game. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But that's that's basically the, the history of how we got to where we are today. Yeah, and I think in the crypto community too, there's so much pseudonymity that goes on. I mean, even with myself, you know, I'm just a cartoon owl in a cowboy hat on Twitter, um, but I do have another life outside <laughs> of this crypto Twitter world uh, that I'm living in. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's there's definitely some benefits to that, and we can probably touch on that later, but like, have you ever just been somewhere where like random people are talking about bored Elon Musk and you just like had to pretend that you had no idea? Yeah, um, definitely have been to conferences, really large conferences, and uh, have, have, have overheard people talking about it. And it kind of killed me to not to not be able to say anything. But, you know, I'm trying to maintain uh, the mystery 
and and I will say that, as you said, like pseudonymity is becoming a lot more common in crypto. It's something that actually I think was really made more popular with the gaming world, right? People would just have a gamer tag, and that's who you, what you knew them by, and, and that sort of started to normalize it. And in this world we live in now, Web three, whatever we want to call it, it's definitely uh, the norm. And I like that. I like that that's happening. I think it's a good thing because. There's always been this kind of like dark shadow over anonymity and pseudonymity, you know, the assumption that people are up to no good and they're doing illegal things. And that's not the case for the vast majority of people in this space. So I, I want to set a good example and I purposely want to maintain my anonymity just to continue setting a good example and showing like I can be an investor, I can build businesses, I can create things and you don't necessarily need to know who the real me is. It's just not relevant to what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, people just care about what you have to say and the actions you take and the rest doesn't really matter. Yeah. And how do you come up with all of your content? Cause it seems like you're just like churning it out hour after hour. Like, do you have people that help you or is it just you being bored Elon Musk? Yeah. I mean the first seven years, honestly, it was just me and a lot of it. Um, I, I got from, uh, doing some comedy writing in my past and, just kind of writing down every possible stupid thought I had in a, in a notebook. Um, as of the last year or so, I have brought on a few people um, to help write. It's it's still not more than like 20% of my tweets. I, I do publish most of them and come up with most of them. I also have my own private Discord uh, called MetaMars, and I see one member, Marie, uh, who is in that Discord is uh, on this call, and I have this funny channel with my Discord, which basically is like tweet ideas. And if anybody ever thinks of a tweet that I end up using and posting, I'll just pay them 75 bucks to use it. So I kind of incentivize folks to help me write. So, you know, I just, uh, I, I think part of it, honestly, is that um, a big reason that people don't tweet more often or have a hard time coming up with content is because they're afraid of what they will say is going to get them in trouble. And I don't really have that fear. So I tweet a bunch of stuff that's probably dumb and nobody likes it, but that's okay. I'll go and delete it later if it gets no engagement. Um, so removing that fear, I think, empowers me, honestly, to, to be a bit more creative with my writing. Yeah, and I've and we've discussed this at the Index Co-op quite a bit. And it's just, you know, sometimes when you're tweeting, you just get writer's block. You know, you think, there's nothing else I can think of to tweet about. Like when you get right, do you get writer's block? And when you do, like, do you have any like quick little anecdotal solutions to help you push through that? Yeah, I mean, I think there have been you know weeks on end where I haven't tweeted at all, and um, that's no longer the case these days. But yeah, I, I think uh, looking at my old content helps. Um, consuming other people's content helps. I always think about creativity as one's ability to intersect uh, different ideas that sometimes have nothing to do with each other and fuse them into one concept. And I think that's a lot of what drove kind of the dumb inventions that, that I've tweeted about in the past is just take things that don't make any sense together, try to figure out a way that, that, that does make them work, and then that might prompt an idea. There's a great book, actually, I recommend everyone check out. It's called The Medici Effect. And it talks a lot about the Renaissance and how the Medici family empowered a lot of the, uh, the famous artists that we know today. And a lot of, a lot of the, the premise of the book is just um, how that period in history was all about people in one place bouncing ideas off of each other that led to new creative concepts. And, you know, traditionally that's something that's happened in big cities um, where a lot of people from different backgrounds were all together. And now that can happen much more easily on the internet, right, with, with things like Discord and Twitter, et cetera. And so I, I think that, you know, 
if you're ever in a, if you're ever having sort of a writer's block, um, go read about something that you know nothing about, you know, something that isn't really even in your normal sort of day-to-day interests and see if that prompts something um, in your mind. That's, that's worked for me. Well, that's a great idea. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, another question I have here is, like, does the real Elon Musk tweet you or does he reply or do you have a relationship with the real Elon Musk or the not bored Elon Musk, I guess? <laughs> the less bored one? Um, no, not really. I mean, he's tweeted at me a couple times. He has this one famous tweet, which is kind of worked against me, um, that basically he, he sarcastically says like that I'm his secret troll account. And uh, people keep pointing to that as proof that that he is running my account. And um, it's funny. I appreciate that he did that. But, you know, it gets people a little confused. And I, I don't try to, you know, trick anybody or make anyone feel like I'm, I'm you know, Elon. And obviously you can tell by my voice that I don't have a South African accent. But um, his mom does follow me, and she only follows 10 people. So that's really my closest relation to, uh, to Elon. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, when you start a Twitter account, you have zero followers. And now, I mean, it's taken eight years. So you got to 1.7 million but was there a time specifically where there was just like this huge spike and a huge rush in followers? And if so, like what was that moment? You know, honestly, it went from zero to like 500,000 in a matter of a few months because um, a couple of notable folks in Silicon Valley, including uh, Jason Calacanis, just, I don't know how they found it, but they found it, started retweeting some of the stupid ideas I had and um, it blew up from there. And it's been just kind of a steady growth at, at that point. And you know, it's been it's been a bit of a grind. You know, like you said, it took eight years. Um, I can't say I'm an overnight success, but I, I think that's that's good motivation for other people who, you know, especially in today's world of like everyone wanting immediate gratification. If you're really passionate about something, put the work in, and you know, build an archive of, of material, and uh, hopefully someday, you know, it will get discovered, and you can you can go from there. Yeah, that okay. That makes sense that you had you know five hundred thousand in the first few months because I, I think you said I think it was August twenty thirteen is when you started the account, and then sometime in twenty fifteen, it's like a year, a year and a half after uh, you won the best fake Twitter account award. C- can you kind of go through what that was like? I remember, uh, so I saw this on YouTube. You wore a mask uh, so as not to reveal your true identity. Uh, what was that like? What was that award for? <laughs> Have you won any other awards since then? Yeah, so that was for something called the Shorty Awards, which uh, was like a, a social media-centric award. And to be honest, I kind of regret that I did that. Um, not that it really, like, you know, docks me or anything, but I think it just sort of broke the mystique of this this uh, Internet character that exists. But um, I have not won any awards since because I have not been willing to uh, accept any awards since. Uh, but yeah, I, I flew to New York and uh, figured, you know, I'd like to get this this nice award that people offered me, but didn't want to reveal who I was. So I wore one of those, yeah, those like Lycra, you know, green man masks over my head and went on stage and got an award from Rachel Dratch, who was a formal, former SNL cast member. Uh, and she was definitely weirded out by the whole thing, and I and understandably so. But um yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the only thing on the web that I wish didn't exist. Because I just, again, I think it eats into the uh, the idea or the lore of, of Bored Elon. Uh, but, I, but I certainly, you know, am, am thankful that people, you know, felt that I was worthy of that award. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, let's, let's transition into crypto, DeFi, the metaverse. Um, 
when did you first hear about crypto? And I guess what was the path that took you into where you are today uh, with your involvement in crypto and DeFi? So, I mean, I got into crypto pretty early. Um, the the marker for that is that I bought my first Bitcoin at thirteen dollars. Um, however, you know, like many people, I sold it at a hundred dollars because I thought, wow, what a, what a great profit! Can't can't beat that. And obviously, we know the rest of that story. So. You know, in terms of dabbling with with crypto, I was in pretty early, but it was really just trading crypto assets until basically last year. You know, it was a variety of you know Bitcoin, Ethereum. I had high hopes for Stellar; it didn't quite take off the way I wanted it to, and that was it. And then late last year was when I really started to uh, understand DeFi and NFTs in particular. And for me, you know, as somebody who's more of a content creator, and a powerful way to to um, you know, basically take my thinking, productize it, and, uh, you know, monetize in a way that was, again, not requiring me to dox myself. And as I did that, it led me down the rabbit hole of DeFi. I'm someone who has always been pretty frustrated with the entire banking system. There's this one one sort of story that pops out in my mind in particular where I needed to send myself money from a Chase Canada account to a Chase United States account and there was a $40 transaction fee to send my own money to myself, to the same company, to the same bank. And I thought, wow, we really don't have control over our money. And not only do we have no control over our money or very little control over our money, we're not able to profit from it in the way that capitalism is supposed to work, right? With interest and compounding and all that. So that then led me to, to think through, okay, is, is crypto sort of solving for some of these these problems that I'm encountering, and I quickly realized that it was. So, you know, whereas NFTs, you know, led me down the road of finding a way a way to monetize the capital that I, you know, built up in in a in the Borealon account. DeFi has has helped me save and grow that 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 monetary gain, and also you know expand my uh, my empire, if you will, through you know trading, borrowing, and etc. So I've been I've just been amazed at what what the DeFi space has been able to come up with. And to be, to be honest, it's, it's, it's still complicated for the everyday person. Like I have figured out, you know, the basic sort of tools like compound and Uniswap. But I think, you know, for the everyday consumer who, who probably really needs something like, you know, DeFi, I think there's some work still that needs to be done to, to make it feel a bit more accessible uh, to the masses. And especially to people who are, you know, not as financially well off and are the ones who probably are, um, suffering the most from from banking fees and overdraft charges and you know things that are basically sucking away any any savings that they have. Yeah, I I like that point you made about you know using the metaverse almost to realize or monetize your social capital that you've built up over these eight years. I I think that's a really interesting take there. And how how deep down in the DeFi space are you? I know you said like you're familiar with Compound and Uniswap, but are you yield farming at all? Are you are are you providing liquidity? Have you bridged your assets like over to Polygon or to Avalanche or Arbitrum? Um, can you give us just kind of like a general idea of of your I guess your expertise in that area? Yeah, you're looking for my DGen score, right? That's basically where we're going. That's it. Um, <laughs> I uh, I have bridged to Polygon. I, I I will admit I did that for the first time simply for uh, Zed run purposes because I needed to uh, buy and sell horses. 
uh, not in that anymore. But yeah, I've used, I've made my first Uniswap uh, liquidity pool, and I did that for a fractionalized uh, NFT that I sold, and I wanted to provide liquidity to to owners. And you know, things like, of course, you know, Compound have led me down the rabbit hole uh, of, of yield farming as well. I don't want to shill too much, but I a few months ago discovered Olympus DAO or OM as they call it, and um, have you know been staking that and, and earning an amazing yield. So. You know, I think I think in the world we live in, you you discover one thing, you tell someone about it, and then that person tells you about two or three other things, and you know, down the rabbit hole you go. So I, I'd say uh, on a scale of one to ten, I'm probably at a six right now in terms of knowledge. Uh, I've got a lot more to learn, and I'm doing I think as much as I can without having sort of a technical background and without knowing how to like you know mine stuff on my own. Well, I think all the Omis at Olympus DAO will be happy to hear that you're uh, you're supporting their cause. I think <laughs> I think that's a great DAO that's doing a lot of very interesting things, and uh, they, they're continuing to innovate. So, yeah, I, I also like that DAO. It's it's pretty interesting. And so, yeah, you also talked about fractionalizing an NFT, which is something that not a lot of people uh, have done. You kind of want to go. Can you go through that process and like what was the NFT and why did you? How did you come up with this idea? So I was um, I was approached actually by the Zora platform that was launching a um, an auction house specifically for board apes, and uh, I had one that I was willing to to fractionalize. And for those that aren't familiar with the term, you know, basically an NFT is owned by one wallet. That's kind of the traditional model, and whoever you know owns that wallet owns the NFT. The idea of fractionalizing an NFT, especially one that's kind of a high value item. Uh, is that many people can can be owners of that NFT, and the way that that works is the NFT is moved into into the custody uh, of a platform like let's say Fractional.com, or I forget what their exact uh, URL is, but Fractionalize is, is a platform that lets you do this, and then that that NFT is broken up into shares, which are then distributed as tokens, right? So if you sell, if you fractionalize an NFT that say is worth 100 ETH and you get 100,000 tokens that then represent that that uh, NFT, it goes out to all the people who contributed to that particular fractionalization. And if that and if that NFT gets bought in the future, you know everybody who owns tokens can then claim the uh, the value that, that they are owed, whether that goes up or down. But the cooler thing about it, beyond beyond sort of the monetary opportunity, is that it also lets you create a community around one NFT, right? So maybe I owned a board ape and that was really cool and, and I got to do the social flexing with all that. But now, you know, there's a couple hundred people who own a piece of that board ape and they're creating art around it. They're part of a private, you know, uh, Discord community. Um, we're doing all sorts of airdrops with it. So in a way, it's like you're creating a small token community, but but rallying around one particular NFT that, you know, has a lot of cultural value. So I, I think you're going to continue to see a lot of it. There, there are some downsides that I do want to point out with this model. So for example, like if you have an NFT collection where airdrops are really common and the, and the creators of that NFT let you do certain things, if you're the owner of the NFT, it gets kind of messy when you fractionalize it. Right, because they're they're building experiences for one owner, not for a hundred or five hundred. So that that element is still being worked on. But for the from the pure standpoint of just being able to own a piece of an NFT, which maybe is not super affordable, which I think board apes are not anymore, it's a pretty good solution. And and I, I think we'll continue to see the evolution of of that sort of activity in the NFT space. 
Yeah, is it fair to say that you're more drawn or more involved in the metaverse than the DeFi part of the crypto space? I think so. I mean, I think to me, it's it's kind of like the, the DeFi space is a bank, right? It lets you do, it, it helps facilitate what else you want to do. If, if you have a startup, right, that startup is powered by, you know, accounting, by legal documents. These are all necessary things. But for me, yeah, DeFi is really just what helps empower me to do the other stuff. And the other stuff, I, I guess you could call it kind of the metaverse, but I, I still don't know if I, if I like that term. It's kind of vague and no one's really defining it. And I personally believe there's there's kind of many metaverses that are being built. But if we're if we're just kind of using the metaverse as a, uh, a proxy for this, right, for engaging with people ar- across the world, building a company asynchronously, creating content and gaming experiences, yeah, that's definitely what, what I'm way more in, interested in. And my background and professionally and personally is, is really in the world of gaming. And I think that, you know, taking the sort of the 3 billion people who are playing video games right now in a non-crypto setting and, and applying that to and, and shifting those individuals over to the blockchain over time is a massive opportunity. So I see that as something that I'm personally interested in and also a, a huge financial opportunity. And I certainly recommend that, you know, that others continue to investigate that space from a, from a entertainment standpoint and a financial standpoint, because, you know, as much as, projects out there that are in the nft space promise utility i don't think you're ever going to be able to give more utility to an nft than it being something that you can use in a video game at least not in the near future so i i continue to sort of you know find a a lot of uh opportunity in that space and that's where i'm going to be you know focusing more most of my attention yeah and on that let's move over to your project metamars uh I think this is a game that you're creating. Is that correct? And uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, and I I would absolutely love uh, feedback, especially from this community um, on on sort of the model because it it really is um, meant to be a uh, intersection of DeFi and gaming. And I haven't seen a lot of that before. But the idea of MetaMars is that it's going to be a gaming experience where you have a collection of mini games, sort of party games. If you've ever played something like Super Mario Party or any kind of classic arcade collection, you're familiar with what MetaMars will look like. But these games will, of course, be themed around Mars and the Martian experience. Like, what is it like to, you know, live on Mars in the first hundred years? And what are we going to experience as a, as, a, as a species when we do that? But the unique model for, Metal, for MetaMars is that to play these games, you're going to deposit money into MetaMars. That, that money is going to then earn yield, as we know uh, DeFi can accomplish. The difference is that instead of each individual person earning yield on the money they've deposited, it's all going to be pooled together. And then the top scoring players in a particular week or a particular month are going to win that, that prize pool. So if you've heard of something like pool together or no-loss lotteries, that's the idea. You're putting a quarter into the arcade machine, you're playing it, you're going to get your quarter back, but if you're really good at the game, you're also going to get bonus money on top of that. So that's the core concept, and the games themselves, that'll grow, we'll have lots and lots of games over time and experiences over time, but the premise is that it is truly play, you're playing games and you're earning yield if you're the best player, and if you just want to play games and you don't care necessarily about yield on a, on a batch of money, that's okay too, you won't lose anything. 
So that's that's kind of the general idea. And I, I have yet to see anything like this model. So I'm hoping that it's going to make a big impact once we launch next year. Yeah. Uh, and here at the Index Co-op, we do have the Metaverse Index, which, uh, you know, like you said, it's a broad term, but it kind of encompasses entertainment, games, NFTs, and business just kind of taking place on the blockchain. And yeah, I haven't seen anything quite like what you're describing. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Pull Together and I have assets, you know, held in the Pull Together protocol. But it's, you know, that's like a lottery based system. And this is more, it's still lottery based, but I guess it's pulled together, but the winner is more strategic and skill based as opposed to just a random lottery. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there can always be like, you know, various types of prizes in a particular week. Um, and, you know, just as a bit of background, um, a, a portion of the way that this was all funded, because, you know, developing a game isn't isn't free, is I issued an NFT called Mars Coins. And these Mars Coins were, were picked up um, by uh, a group of, you know, individuals who wanted to invest in the project. And essentially, the benefit of owning the Mars coins is that they will be able to play these games for free, and they don't necessarily need to deposit money. So that was the benefit, you know, of of picking up the the NFTs early. And by the way, I don't know if uh, if the Metaverse Index can buy NFTs, but you guys should take a look at those coins. But you know, it was kind of like a it was it was basically crowdfunding a game in a different format, right? So instead of like raising capital in a traditional sense, the NFTs served as a as a means of raising capital, but they don't necessarily offer equity. They offer benefits once the game is live. Okay, yeah, that's and can people still buy this Mars coin today? Is that on OpenSea? Yeah, there, there's 900 of them. They're on OpenSea, um, so they're they're trading in the aftermarket. They're they're hovering around 0.2 ETH each. But yeah, they're they're available. There's paper hands who are willing to sell, so you can take a look if you want one. I think uh, Mars Coin is is really interesting because you're starting to have these city coins come out, like Miami Coin, and here we have just a planet coin. Well, a metaverse planet coin, but you know, all all the same. It's, <laughs> it's That's right. Yeah, it is. It is one version of Mars in one universe. Yes. Uh, but I, I think you you know you also have your hand in quite a few other uh, projects in crypto DeFi in the metaverse. I guess you're, you're more of an angel investor in this space. Uh, do you just want to touch on that? Do you want to talk about any specific projects that you've been angel investing in? Yeah, I mean you you actually mentioned City Coins. I think that's a good one to touch on. So that is a project that I uh, got connected to um, a few months ago, and they're making quite a bit of headway in the city of Miami, which is their first uh, launch city. So a little bit of background, you know, I, I know most of us are kind of Ethereum heads, but um, CityCoins is built on a platform called Stacks, and Stacks is uh, on the Bitcoin network. And to me, it's it's sort of like the Ethereum of Bitcoin, if I can say such blasphemous things. But um, they built CityCoins on top, of, on top of Stacks. And the cool thing about um, Stacks is that basically they're, they're mining uh, is not done in the traditional sense of, of you know, how Bitcoin and, and Ethereum works. Uh, their mining basically is called proof of, of transfer, right? So you transfer coins to another place, and then you get more coins uh, returned to you. And with CityCoins in particular, this is a project that is pretty unique because you know it is partially something that is meant to be a, a monetary tool, but it's also something that helps fund uh, fund cities. So when people mine city coins, they're actually giving up 30% of the potential yield uh, to the city of their choice. And that money goes into a wallet 
and then any mayor of that city or the mayor of a particular city can claim that wallet. So they chose to use Miami as kind of their testing their testing grounds. And thankfully, uh, Mayor Francis Suarez actually did publicly uh, claim he, he picked up the bag and he claimed seven million dollars that was raised through mining uh, of these city coins and. It's an amazing first example of, of where things can go because I think other cities are going to emulate this this project um, and build their own coins using the same model. And my favorite part about it is it's almost like a voluntary tax. No one's forcing anyone to give up money to the city of Miami, but people believe in it. They like where things are going in Miami. They like that it's crypto friendly. And because of that, they're voting with their wallet and they're opting to mine coins that they know will fund city services. And it's kind of like the reverse of how taxes work now, right? You you do it because it's an obligation and it's important and all that. But how amazing would it be if the if the technology and the ethos of DeFi was applied to actually funding municipal projects? Like that's that's kind of what Citycoin is. So I'm really bullish on the concept overall. I hope it gets copied, frankly, because I think it's going to be a good thing for society. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of information about stacks recently, and I haven't really been able to dig too deep down into it but i think what, what you just provided there was is pretty interesting and yeah i i would say that most people listening to this uh, podcast or listening live in the discord are pretty ethereum based because you know index co-op we're, we're based on ethereum even though we have bridged some of our assets over to you know like the DeFi pulse index and the metaverse index we've bridged those over to the polygon network and we're coming out with like a polygon ecosystem uh, index. It's the polygon diversified index now, actually, which is kind of takes like different projects in the Ethereum or in the polygon ecosystem and puts them into an index. But I uh, guess what other chains are you are you playing around on? And you know, there seems to be like a whole lot of animosity and like uh, I guess like a rivalry sense between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Do you feel like that's warranted, or I don't know? Just what's your take on on just like the the overall sentiment between those two groups? Um, you know, I, I think the my perspective is, is just grow the pie. And um, I'm not a maxi when it comes to anything. And I think, um, you know, when, when, I, when I judge someone's intelligence, I basically analyze how easily they're willing to change their mind um, when presented with new information. And if you're stubborn and you only believe one thing is true forever, um, I don't think you're a very smart person. So... You know, my, my take is that diversify your assets, investigate different things. I would say the bulk of my assets are, you know, in Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I think they're both great, and they both serve their own purpose. And as new chains emerge, you know, I, I certainly investigate them and, and uh, you know, look at them with open eyes. I don't think that anybody can speak to one particular, you know, chain as being kind of God's gift, as if it just came from the ether and is going to solve all the world's problems. I won't tell you which one that is, but there are many people who believe that's true. Yeah, I, I think just be open, right? Like 10 years ago, none of this existed. So to then say that, you know, within 10 years, something is immutably perfect and, and cannot be evolved upon is kind of insane. And, and if you don't agree, you know, with, with a person's perspective on, on uh, one particular chain being better than other, another or worse than another, then, then, then explain why, right? So I think if you, you can actually relate this to politics, I'll say it this way. So right now we have two political parties in the United States, and instead of saying why their party is better, uh, both parties will say why the other one is worse. But as a consumer, I, 
I prefer to know why something is better. I don't care why the other one is the lesser of two evils. So I think that's the way to think about crypto as well. Um, just focus on explaining to people why you think your particular chain or project is is better and let people make their own choice. Yeah, and I, I think you know a lot of people looking in that have no idea what crypto is, and then if they were to find out that there were like different parties within crypto infighting with each other, I think they would be a little surprised at that. It's just it, it became it becomes like a little granular, I think sometimes. But I think, and you touched on some, this a little bit earlier, is oh, another way that we can really bring people in to the crypto and DeFi and metaverse space uh, is through blockchain gaming and games on the blockchain. And I and you're an acting as an advisor for a few blockchain gaming startups. I guess what what excites you most about? gaming on the blockchain and do you want to talk about any of these uh, startups that you're an advisor on yeah i i recently um shared that i'm advising a game called foxies which is a, a tactics based game um if anyone's ever played like advanced wars or final fantasy tactics it's kind of a turn-based uh, strategy game but um i you know i'm reviewing so many different uh blockchain gaming you know pitch decks every week and a lot of them don't have a real game, right? They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they've got like great tokenomics, they've got a great idea for how to sort of utilize NFTs, but there's not an actual game, and a game needs to be fun. And I will add that today, you know, there's, there's 50 to 100 new games that are launched on Steam and other platforms every single week. So you really have to do something different to stand out. So while I do think that gaming is the area where NFTs can have the most utility, I think there are a lot of people who think they can build a game um, who don't necessarily have the the background to back it up. And so the reason I like Voxy so much is that they showed me a playable game with a model and a type of game that I really know to be successful. Um, and they've got a bunch of people from the gaming industry who are on the team that bring the credibility with them. So that's super exciting to me. But I think there's a lot of different opportunities in gaming in terms of monetization. That's going to be wagering. It's going to be ownership of assets um, in games, so that you can actually like share in the profits that video game companies often hoard on their own. There'll be things like play to earn, which you see, you know, in games like Axie Infinity, and and a whole other you know slew of types of monetization that we haven't even heard of yet. But the point is, the model for gaming, you know, in the past is gaming publisher makes a game, you pay for it, you buy in-app purchases, and they they get all the profits. And that doesn't have to be the case anymore. The player base can not only be a, a customer and a marketing channel, but they can actually be equity owners in a game. And I think that will incentivize them to actually want to spread the word of that game. So I'm excited about it. I hope that the AAA publishers catch up to that world and, and jump in head first. But in the meantime, I think there's a big opportunity for people to build new stuff from the ground up. Yeah, I, I think you touched on it too. Is One of the things that excite me the most about blockchain gaming is that yeah, you've got in-game assets that you can actually hold, right? You actually own these assets in your wallet. And then you could either, you know, sell the, you know, like an Axie, you can sell these assets to somebody else who wants to speculate on that asset or, or just play the game at, at a higher level. Or, you know, I mean, in the future, you could just take out a loan against these in-game assets too. So it does like open up just this whole new world where DeFi and the metaverse can intersect uh, even further, which... Uh, it's just really exciting to me. So, yeah, let's move on to just the, the index co-op for a second. You know, as I said earlier, you know, index co-op, we create like crypto native index funds 
to make investing in certain sectors easy. We've got the DeFi Pulse Index, the Metaverse Index, and now we have the Data Economy Index, which has like Chainlink and the Graph and a bunch of other uh, very popular uh, data infrastructure-related tokens that have been pretty popular. But what kind of, uh, I guess, crypto-native index would Mr. Board Elon Musk like to see? Like, if you were to partner with NX Co-op, like, what kind of ideas would you have in your, you know, just like, just like the little inventions that you tweet every day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, first of all, I bought some data because I thought that was a really interesting vertical. And um, I, I love the idea of an index just to, you know, for people like me who don't want to necessarily investigate and trade you know, five or 10 different uh, coins. Um, it makes things a lot easier and, and also uh, tax-friendlier too, you know, so you don't have to kind of keep keep showing uh, taxable events every time you, you move to a new coin. So I, I love that. But I think your metaverse your metaverse index is close to what I would want, which is a, a blockchain gaming-specific index. Um, and that would be a combination of, you know, tokens from upcoming games, existing games, um, and companies that are sort of the picks and shovels of, of blockchain games. And so I'll go ahead and just pitch it. If you guys want to build that index, I would love to work with you on that because I can provide you with some perspective on what should go into that index. And I think a lot of people would be pretty hungry to, to, to hold that. Yeah, I think I think so, too. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, because our Metaverse Index it is a, a little more broad. And, yeah, if we could, like, nail down maybe just, like, very gaming-specific, I think that could be... A, an interesting little index that we could put together as well. Yeah. I, I think the metaverse is just such a broad category that, you know, this is a slice of it that is a really big one. So fo the focus might be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think crypto was like that for a while too. You know, it's just, you know, crypto is such a broad term and it is still to most people, but you're really starting to see like NFTs and DeFi and blockchain gaming and the, the data economy. And it's these are all using the blockchain and they're all crypto technically, but they're kind of getting siloed off into their own, uh, I guess, little industries or little niches, which is uh, which is exciting to see just the, the growth of the industry and how it's progressed over over this time, even though you've been in it since, you know, Bitcoin was 13 bucks. So. Yeah. So, did, yeah, so yeah. because you were in it that early, like, did you get caught up with Mt. Gox or anything like that? Did, do you have funds just oh, yeah, sitting yeah. in Mt. Gox? I, I had funds in Mt. Gox, and I, I was one of the few people that you know pulled them out. I guess before it was too late. But yeah. What a what a what a crazy story. Which, by the way, if you don't know what Mt. Gox is, it, it was like a Magic the Gathering trading site that eventually transitioned into a Bitcoin. Uh, platform but yeah i was i was a part of that world and you know it's funny i as early as i was in sort of bitcoin i took like a three four year gap uh from from crypto right like i you know i sold the the bitcoin at 100 bucks walked away and said this isn't going anywhere and then really didn't touch it again until 2017 so you know it, I, I wish i had just forgotten about it <laughs> i'd probably uh, be a much wealthier person yeah, I think a lot of people have that feeling, uh, too. If you just could have forgotten about your Bitcoin purchases and then uh, remembered where you put them, right? Remember which wallet they were in. But okay, yes. yeah. So, so you saw the smoke coming up at a Mount, Mount Gox before it actually fell. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, um, you know, obviously the world we're in today is much more uh, consumer friendly for, for acquiring, you know, cryptocurrency. But I think where the, the learning curve is still pretty steep is, is self-custody and 
web wallets and um you know i i do see players like consensus with you know metamask for example building a, a lot more consumer friendly tools but it's still going to take a while and and what's you know um, exciting to me is that as much as we feel like this is such a hot market and there's so many people in this space right now the reality is this is a tiny fraction of the total population that knows about any of this stuff so you know the 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 total addressable market is, is still enormous and we're all in it uh, pretty early uh, despite it feeling pretty frothy especially this year yeah so uh you know, there can be so much information and so much news going on in the crypto space on a daily basis. What does your news funnel look like? I, I think you follow like about 5,000 people on Twitter, but like, how do you get your information related to the crypto space? Yeah, I mean, it's really three sources. It's the 5,000 people I follow on Twitter. It's Discord channels now, which to me, Discord feels like what Twitter used to feel like back in 2013, 2014. It's a lot more sort of closed in a good way where you're you're mostly connecting kind of with a more curated circle of individuals and then telegram as well and that's more for kind of one-on-one private chats and it's a lot you know it's it's really a lot um what i will say is that and i and i think this is probably the case for a lot of people in crypto the time that a lot of us used to spend on facebook and instagram and you know chit uh yeah snapchat probably has shifted to Twitter, Discord, and, and Telegram because we've gotten a lot more focused with our information consumption. So for me, you know, that's, that's I trust certain people and I get most of my information from them and it helps me sort through the avalanche of, of you know, all the new stuff that's coming out every single day. You're never going to be able to keep up with it, unfortunately, but, you know, relying on curators that you trust is, is, is hugely important. And you have to remember just to shut it off as well and just leave your computer for a couple of days as hard as it as it is and as much as it feels like you're literally losing money by doing that your mental health requires it and you'll be a smarter person if you give yourself some breaks yeah that's something i do anytime i go on vacation i just i don't look at twitter like i will schedule tweets to go out right but uh i don't i don't look at it but that's interesting what you said about discord feeling more like twitter because I've kind of felt like Discord has felt a little bit more like Reddit in the way that Reddit used to be, where it is just like very specific topics that you can touch on. And it's it's I think it's kind of disappointing how how far down the list uh, Reddit has fallen uh, for most people. Do you do you feel that way with Reddit? Yeah, that's a good. I, I forgot to mention Reddit. Um, yeah, a little bit. I think that Reddit is just too difficult to consume at this point as much as they have tried to segment it into different you know subreddits and all that it, it's it's a little it's a little hard to follow and you know i was checking it daily before and now it's like once a week at best so i do think discord has replaced it and it's just it's just become a bit more personal as well i feel like you can have conversations with people uh, on discord and for whatever reason i don't really know how this cultural norm became standard but i just feel like people are nicer on discord than they are on reddit i think on reddit it's a kind of an adversarial one up one upsmanship type of feel and uh, on discord people tend to be friendlier at least that's my experience no yeah i've noticed that as well too it's like i, I you know i can ask a question in discord and i'll get two answers from very nice people and then i ask a question on reddit and i'll get you know 30 you know you're an idiot basically <laughs> i mean yeah, but what Snark, about snarky responses? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, basically. What about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts at all? Do you have any crypto podcasts that you listen to? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, podcasts are kind of the other form of uh, consumption <laughs> while I'm, I'm working on, on all the other stuff on my screen. So, um, you know, shout out to, to the Bankless guys. I think as it relates to, to DeFi, they've taught me really more than, than anyone else has. Co- uh, the Coindesk uh, podcast as well. There's uh, the... Um, so I'm actually going to look at my, uh, my list right here because there's quite a few that I subscribe to. Unchained. The Deep End is fantastic. I also really like Patrick O'Shaughnessy. He, uh, his, his podcast is Invest Like the Best, and it's a little bit more broad, but I think he's covered a lot of crypto uh, information as well. And, of course, my buddy Pomp, who is a fellow CityCoin fan. So, you know, again, I, I think there's been such a, a wonderful growth in, in particular uh, medium, which is podcasting, that provides a lot of free information for people who want to learn. And I, I will say with, like, NFTs and the crypto space in general, Podcasts have really provided me personally with the most accessible information to help ramp up, ramp up my knowledge in the space. So I think you know when people are driving, walking, working out, whatever, it's a great way to just keep learning while you're while you're doing other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And let me show you two more podcasts. Our methodologists for the Metaverse Index have a podcast called the Meta Portal Podcast. I highly recommend that. That's a great listen. And also the Unstoppable Podcast from some of the people who work at Unstoppable Domains. They've got some really great stuff there, too. Uh, so that's worth checking out. Yeah, I think we're kind of running up on all the questions we have. So I'll just ask, you know, what's next for bored Elon Musk? So um, in the in the uh, vein of, of gaming, I'm working on a, uh, a DAO, which is uh, tentatively named the Board DAO, and that is really going to focus on the intersection of of, uh, of blockchain and, and crypto and gaming. So um, much like the you know potential <laughs> uh, gaming index fund that we've discussed, uh, it's really going to be a focus group of investors who want to collectively you know bet on on the next the next phase of blockchain gaming. So um, I don't want to reveal more than that. But if you're interested in that space and are looking to invest as a collective. That is a DAO that I'm, I'm looking to launch in the next three months. Okay, that's a big alpha leak right there. So that's exciting. And you kind of touched on this at the beginning, but do you ever think that you will reveal your true identity, Mr. Board? <laughs> um, I've had thoughts of doing it over the years, and I've watched other pseudo accounts do it. And almost every single time, it's resulted in kind of like a womp womp, like not not interesting. So... I don't think so. I might get doxxed at some point. That's fine. I can live with it. I think the only reason I would voluntarily reveal myself is if uh, real Elon asked for it. And I don't know why he would care to do it, but if he did, I'd probably give it up. He's been a good sport and uh, hasn't really, you know, caused me any problems. In fact, you know, he's a personal hero. I think what he's doing is great. So, yeah, if he, for some reason, needed to know who I was, I would definitely reveal it. Otherwise, I think I'll just uh, keep my secret safe for now. That sounds, that sounds good. I feel like, yeah, that adds value to your brand, to the pseudonymity of it all. Okay, well, uh, we don't have any more questions for you. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to share before we sign off? No, I mean, thank you for, for having me. I really appreciate all the education you're providing for the community. I also appreciate the time you're, you're saving a bunch of people by, uh, you know, building these great, these great index uh, coins. So, I, uh, I will continue to be uh, an avid member of the community, and I'll, I'll see everybody on Discord. Yeah, I hope to see you out there in Discord. And uh, one, one last thing, where can people go to find out more about you and, uh, I guess, your 
investments or your your workings? Yeah, if uh, if anyone checks me out on Twitter, uh, it's just board Elon Musk on Twitter. I have a link tree, and there's pretty much a, a list of all of my active investments and projects and things that I'm working on. So that'll be a nice little rabbit hole uh, for people to go down if they would like. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Mr. Board, I appreciate you coming on the conversations with the co-op. Uh, we, this is being recorded. And so we'll get this uploaded uh, probably in about like four or five days and uh, look for it on Twitter. Sign up on indexcoop.substack.com and I'll see everyone next time. Thanks again.